Before we begin, I have two quick announcements. In case you haven't heard, I want to let you know about a relatively new podcast from Renovare. It's called Friends in Formation. It's an informal conversation of sorts where I join two wonderful folks, Rochelle Aparam and James Catford. The three of us work with questions you send in. It's been a lot of fun to be a part of. And the second announcement, as you may have heard, we at Renovare are looking for a new president. Chris Hall, he's retiring this February. And so the official search has begun. We're looking for a relational leader with a heart for helping individuals and churches become more like Jesus. If this is you or someone you know, you can find out more information at renovare.org slash president. That's R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E dot org slash president. And the deadline to apply is September 10th. Welcome to the Renovare Podcast, a place for honest conversations about interactive life with God. I'm Nathan Foster, and today I get to share with you another classic talk. This one's from back in 1999 from my father, Richard Foster. It's titled, The Ways and Means of Grace. I think I first heard this talk in the early 90s. At the time, I wasn't connected with Renovare, And like most kids, I hadn't paid much attention to my father's work. So this may very well have been the first time I voluntarily heard him speak. I was a night jander at a middle school. And somewhere I'd stumbled upon a collection of cassette tapes from a number of early Renovare events. And in the quiet of the night, as I swept floors and emptied trash, I listened to those tapes over and over and over again. It was a really formative time in my life. And part of what I love about this particular recording is the introduction from James Bryan Smith. He gives a unique glimpse into Richard's life and the founding of Renovare. One of the great things about being a part of any Renovare conference is getting to know people who uh, have read Richard's writings but have never seen him in person. And people will say things to me like, oh, he was much different than I expected. And, and I, I said to this one guy one time, I said, well, what were you expecting? He, he said, I was expecting someone very tall and very serious. And I said, he's nothing like that, is he? And uh, the great thing is that uh, he combines this tremendous passion for God, greater than anyone I've ever known, a keen intellect, a great reader, and yet he's so tender in ministry towards people. And you just don't don't find that. Many people over the world know him as a great writer, which he is. His his writing is so beautiful to read, and yet it also touches our hearts and moves us. But what I think I'm most impressed with in the last few years of knowing Richard is to watch him do all that has to be done to make this happen. You know, back in 1986, he stepped away from everything and you know, was pretty much going to maybe quit writing or speaking. He felt like God wanted to do something, but he didn't know what, so he better check out for a time, and he did. 
And when he re-emerged, he came a few years later with a vision for what you see today. And, you know, I think, what courage that took. He could have just gone on writing popular books, but instead he steps out to start out a ministry that no one can pronounce <laughs> and endure all that goes with that. And, uh, you know, that's, but that's at his heart, is to make something like this happen. And the joy and the levity just comes forth in, in everything that he does. Uh, as I said in, earlier in my talk, I'm grateful for what he's done for me. And it all started really back in 1983 when he took me to uh, Southern California. He was teaching a course there called Contemporary Spirituality at Fuller. It was a two-week course, and he graciously invited me to come, you know, I said, I'll come, I'll carry your bags, I'll do whatever, just to be a part of the course and so forth. So we shared this little apartment together. And, you know, I was Richard Foster. You know, I, ooh, I get to be with Richard Foster. Take him very seriously, yes, sir, kind of thing. And uh, so one day, he said, the, the night before this big event, the next day, he says, oh, I'm preaching in this chapel, and if you'd like to come, you're welcome to come. And I said, great, I'll be there. He said, well, you've heard me give the talk before, you don't really need to come. And his humble mumble. And I said, no, no, I want to come. And then and I was going to be very pious. I said, I'll, be, I'll sit in the back and pray for you. I thought that sounded good. So, so Foster wakes up the next morning and leaves and doesn't wake me up. There was no alarm, but he's gone. I wake up. And, so I thought I need to make myself useful. So I'm cleaning the dishes. Hear the door shut. Richard comes in. And I'll do my Richard Foster impression now. Would you like me to? So he, okay. so he comes in to the room, and he goes, Oh, Jim, guess what happened? And I said, what? He said, in the worship service, we had a theophany. And I said, okay, wait a minute, hold on, let me think. Theophany, it's a big word. <laughs> Visible manifestation of God, okay? I'm home doing dishes, he sees God. What is that? So I said, oh, you're kidding. He said, oh, it was incredible. I said, what happened? He said, while I was preaching... Right up by the pulpit, the Lord appeared, and he looked down at me, and he spoke. And I said, what did he say? He said, Richard, where's Jim? <laughs> and, and I knew then he was a different kind of guy, but one we've all grown to know and love. Let's give a nice warm welcome to our speaker tonight. The founder of the man, Richard J. Foster. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, I, you see what I have to endure. But you know, wasn't it amazing in the earlier session this evening now, Jim speaking? Did you, did you watch that? I mean, did you, wasn't that wonderful? It really was wonderful. Oh, you don't. But I mean, what I, what I wanted you to, did you notice that he followed that outline? He got in every single point. Now, that, Jim is a Methodist. And you see, he's got these methods down. But now, I mean, I'm a Quaker. And I just have to tell you right at the beginning, I don't even intend to get near all of these things that are written down. But I will go across a few of them just a bit if you want to look on... 81 and following. When Peter, in his tiny epistle, said, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, 
He was saying something that is almost incomprehensible today. Because we are so accustomed to thinking of grace as unmerited favor. And it is that, isn't it? But it is so much more than that. How do you grow in unmerited favor? You don't. But we do grow in grace. Because we're not just saved by grace. We live by grace. We pray by grace. We act by grace. A student once came to me and asked me, what happens after grace? <laughs> and I said, there is no after grace. Because this is the life we are given by the grace of God to grow up in Jesus Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? That is the goal of the Christian life. Heaven is not a goal. Heaven is a destination. The goal of the Christian life is formation and conformation and transformation into the image of Jesus Christ so that when we get to heaven, we'll be willing to stay there. That's it. In Romans, Paul said, those whom he foreknew, them he predestined to be conformed to his image. You are predestined to be like Jesus. And in Colossians, Paul said, I am in travail, childbirth, until Christ be formed. In you, do you understand how intent God is upon forming you into the life of Jesus Christ and presenting? He, he is determined to do that. And you see, the church, one of our biggest problems is we don't even think about that. If the, the very best we do is pack it onto the very end of some major agenda of life that has to do with, with buildings and with, and with programs, all kinds of holy baloney, and we don't get to forming people. You understand me? Let's quit this stuff and let's get into a life with God. In Christ, that will change us as human beings. I have watched people, good people, churched people, who can be in good churches year after year after year and never make any progress in the formation of their character. Never understanding how holy habits are formed in the mind, in the heart, in the spirit. Never beginning to understand the actions to be done and the intentionality of the Spirit. When William Law talked about intention in his book, Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life, he was talking about a plan of life. Not like we say, well, I sort of intended to do it. No, he meant that it is the plan of our life. Can I ask you? Are you intending to stop Sinning? Oh, well, we're not so sure about that. Well, let me ask it another way. 
Are you intending to sin? Oh, well, no, of course not. Well, if you are not making intentions not to sin, you are intending to sin. And we simply have to make up our mind. And that is the place of the will that we bring to bear. Are you willing tonight to bring it to bear to say, I am going to make intention, intention to stop sinning. Now that's a process, that's a life. And so we must ask that desperate cry of the human heart, how can I break the ingrained habits of sin and acquire the ingrained habits of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit? And we make a wonderful beginning if we take very seriously, if you would just take a year or so on that one page in the divine conspiracy which has this golden triangle for spiritual growth with these three areas of life. Plan discipline to put on a new heart. Remember, it is only God that can program the heart. You can't do it but you can take on planned discipline that will place your heart where God can touch it. And then the ordinary events of our lives and then the action of the Holy Spirit. And so now let's think about these as the ways and means of grace. You remember that Jonathan Edwards often spoke of God as a God of means. And John Wesley spoke of the means of grace. And that's what I want us to think about a little bit as we look at this triangle. First, the planned disciplines of life for training in righteousness. Now, discipline by itself simply means the ability to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. I mean, I can take a basketball and I can get it into a basketball hoop eventually. I just can't take a basketball and get it in the basketball hoop when it needs to be gotten into the basketball hoop because I'm not a disciplined basketball player. Now that's it in life. So that we have learned, we have deep ingrained habits that allow these things to happen. That's why Don could sit there and George can go to that piano and do all of these amazing things that I can't do. Why? Because it's not in my fingers. It's not in my hands. It's not there. But they have an ingrained pattern of life. They don't even think about it. They don't even look at their hands. So now, you must take up planned activities of your life to build a new heart. Now, these are common, well-established teachings. And I want you to catch the rhythm, this two-part rhythm of life. Sometimes it's been called communion with God and compassion for the world. Love of God, love of neighbor. Sometimes it's been called personal holiness and social holiness. Some have used those uh, very strange-looking words that you see, cataphatic and apophatic. That, that is the, the via negativa or the world fleeing or the ascetical life. The things you stand against and the cataphatic, the via affirmativa, the, the world affirming kind of life. Sometimes it's called works of piety, works of mercy. In the Roman Catholic tradition, there are corporal works of mercy and spiritual works of mercy, those kinds of things. There's a misprint here on 5 John Wesley called it the instituted means of grace and the prudential means of grace. The instituted means of grace like prayer and scripture and fasting and what he called Christian conference. That wasn't getting together like this, <laughs> not that. 
No, no, he meant how we confer with one another. How do we talk with each other? How do we submit to one another? How do we enter into relationship of gospel order into our lives and into our churches? That's what he meant. And then the prudential means of grace were simply things that are prudent or wise. First one he said was, don't do any harm. See, that's an action. Don't do any harm. And the second one was, do good. Can you get that? Don't do harm, do do good. And the third one was to do the instituted means of grace together as a community of people. Isn't that lovely? And Dallas Willard simply follows in that very great and long tradition by his use of the phrases disciplines of abstinence and disciplines of engagement. I just want you to see now that he is tied into a very long tradition rooted in Scripture and all through the history of the church of planned disciplines, disciplines of abstinence, disciplines of engagement. And I've just taken and listed those disciplines that he has written about in the spirit of the disciplines and given you a little one-sentence statement. Now, I'm not going to go into all of those. I've written about it. He's written about it. Many others have written about it. But I do want to have a chance for you to hear from a person or two who have actually taken up some of these. And the first is... The uh, disciplines of abstinence, Jim spoke about solitude, and I just want to share with you a little bit about how this conference came about. Well, I'm not going to share. I want Margaret Campbell to share, and she's, she's over here. I thought I'd spite her. Margaret, we had a, we had a regional conference in this area, and that, it was a wonderful time, great fun, and I w- went home saying, that one's over, not good. But then Margaret took a retreat. Can you tell a little about it? That's right. 27 months ago, I took a retreat, and I did the same thing. Phew, that was over. Um, But on the second day of that retreat, as I was alone in my room, God began to tell me that Renovari's work in Houston was not complete. I really didn't understand what that meant, but I sensed it included a lot of work. That you got right. (laughs) I began to cry. And I said, Lord, I'm weary. And I'm tired. And I'm not the right person to give leadership to your work. But he spoke to me through his words in Jeremiah, saying, Do not say, I'm only a child. Go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you to say. And do not be afraid for I'm with you. And then very gently he said, I'm not asking you to give leadership to my work, but just to take the next step. Hmm. And in the quietness and stillness of that room, he showed me what those next steps would be. And I took the next step and the next and the next. And the international conference began to take shape. It was in solitude and silence that I heard his voice, and he gave me direction. And from that day, 27 months ago, until today, he has given me guidance and the wisdom and the strength that I've needed to give leadership to this conference. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) Now... We would never have even thought of doing this without what she's just shared with you. Never had thought of it. 
And it was only the sense that God was in all of this. And then as Margaret took one step to the next. Now, through that process, can you just share? Because, see, part of the task of the disciplines is the formation of our soul, the increase of our life. What have you learned and how have you grown? What, anything that you can share? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll sit down. God was faithful. He was with me. And there were times that he would show me he was with me. Maybe I was going somewhere and there would be a rainbow. And that would remind me that he said, I am with you. And uh, the guidance was there. And in these last few months, I've looked forward to early morning walks. And he and I have sorted things out. And I would go and say, okay, Lord, help me with this. And... um, Hmm. He's faithful. Oh, that's lovely. He's faithful. That's lovely. And this is the result. So all of that, from a discipline of solitude, a little retreat experience that led to an action, an action that led to another action. You see how we're formed by that? Because then we have to decide how we're going to respond. All of that happens. So all of the disciplines of abstinence have that very task within them. It's detachment from what we want, from our agenda, to learning God's agenda, and God giving an agenda, our agenda back so that we can begin to want what He wants, and then He tells us to do what we want. And that's what God is teaching. See, Then that's all of the disciplines of abstinence. They, they detach us to, so that we may have a deeper, fuller, richer attachment to God. I want you to see how good these are. And then there are the disciplines of engagement, the via affirmativa. This afternoon, you met Emily Griffin. I want you to, is Emily here and her husband Bill? Oh, I've got to tell you something about Emily and Bill. This is so fun. These two met in New York City. How long ago now was this? 1961. So that's a few years back. Yes. They had a date in New York City. Can you imagine what they did on that first date in New York City? Just think about that. What did they do? I'll tell you what they did. They went to the public library to study Augustine in Latin. (laughs) Now, Emily always... See, they think that that it's strange that I think that's funny, but let me just ask. how, How many of you on your first date... Did something like that, see? (laughs) But now, here, I better give this to Bill because I want him to say a word. I want you both. They had an experience not too long ago that I wanted them, it has to do with the Latin, that's why I told that story. And I wanted, this has to do with service. And when I talked with them about this, they said, oh my, that we didn't think of it as service. Oh, but it does fit the canon laws here of service. And so, yeah, tell a little. Well, we, uh, uh, as Richard has said, we, we both know Latin. Bill knows more Latin than I know, but at any rate. And uh, there was a man in New Orleans, a very eminent scholar named Charles Davis, a, a professor at Tulane University, a medieval historian, an expert on Dante, and uh, worldwide uh, well-known internationally for his work. And he lost his sight completely about five or six years ago. And I had known him since I was an undergraduate. And 
someone said, you know, Emily, you really should go and see Charles because he's been a little bit sad since he lost his sight. So I went to see him, and he said, you know, I have all these wonderful computers here at the university that talk to me, and I have all the technology, but I don't have anyone to read Latin with me. So I got home, and I thought it over for a little while, and I called him back and said, Charles, could I read Latin with you? And we began and started to read Latin once a week to give him what he needed for his work. Well, we read a few things like uh, Cicero's essay on old age. Propose that we read uh, something on friendship, Cicero's essay on friendship, and then there's an essay in the... 12th to 13th century by Aylred of Riveau, which is in Yorkshire, England, an abbot. For me, it was intellectual entertainment of a very high sort. It was quite, quite a remarkable uh, and joyful experience. We got more than we gave a thousand times. I guess Richard calls that service. I call that, I don't know what, wonderful time. <laughs> well, it was really spiritual friendship, too, and he had, been, he had studied in Oxford. We had that in common, Oxford University. Our love of Oxford University was part of the friendship. There was an awful lot of joy, a lot of laughter. He had known C.S. Lewis. That was exciting. So we just were blessed by the work of working with him on that. And then once in a while he would say, and this was a great blessing to me, let's have a little dose of Milton. Oh, and Milton is everywhere. <laughs> and uh, so then we would read a little bit of Paradise Lost uh, to him. And on one occasion, he recited to me in its entirety, flawlessly, Milton's sonnet on his blindness. Wow. So this was a man that deeply accepted this uh, loss. And he was a great... He ministered to us by the joy and the laughter. Yeah, now see, part of that shows that all of this thing of disciplines, this, is, this can be fun. This can be great joy. I had a dear lady who'd gone through a lot of sadness in her life, but I went to visit her and see how she was doing. She said, oh, the Lord spoke to me the other day. I said, well, tell me, what did he say? Oh, he said this, and this is a direct quote from her. Fun ahead, saith the Lord. <laughs> See, it can be grand. Now, I want you to stand right here. This is a little inside thing. I want, I have something for them. And this is especially for Bill because I had Bill do something for me and he didn't exactly know why he was doing it. But here it is. Uh, Bill and Emily are Roman Catholic and I'm a Quaker. I wanted you to have a, a Quaker symbol in your room. And so here is the translation of William Penn from English into Latin, and Bill did the translation <laughs> of the saying, I have it in English, true religion does not take a man out of the world, but better enables him to live in it and excites his endeavors to mend it. And so now, Bill, can you give to us what that sounds like in Latin? Oh, well, recte vera hominibus, Non sunt sine cera, ad mundum expellandum ulterius, sed atrahendum vicinius, et reparandum celderius. And that's for you. Gulielmus Penna, William Penn. <laughs> 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 Ricardus Foster. <laughs> 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 
I'm so pleased by. Thank you. Now you get the idea. Can you get it for all of these disciplines? Please understand, this isn't an exhaustive list that's been given, and there's lots of ways. All the disciplines of the life do is help us to present who we are, our bodies, and place it before God, that He might take that action and do a wonderful thing. Remember how Paul said, I beseech you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, the problem with living sacrifices is that they're always trying to crawl off the altar. <laughs> That's why they take a lifetime to be offered. See? So we learn through the disciplines of life to present ourselves before God. And these can be full of joy. Don't turn them into another set of soul-killing laws. I don't know if you've heard about Hans the tailor, but he was a famous tailor in a city, and so when an enterprising entrepreneur came to the city, he decided that he would get a tailor-made suit from Hans the tailor. So he went in, he got measured and fitted, and the next week he came to pick up his tailor made suit. But when he tried to put it on, one arm kind of twisted like this and the other sort of came this way. One shoulder kind of bunched up here and another caved in here, but he didn't want to make a scene, so he paid his money and got on the trolley to go back to the hotel. And He's on there for a while. Another man comes up, taps him on the shoulder, says, tell me, did Hans the tailor make that suit? Oh, he said, well, yes, he did. The other man said, amazing. I knew that Hans was a great tailor, but I had no idea he could make a suit to fit so perfectly someone as deformed as you. <laughs> Isn't that how we do it in the church? See, we have some experience with God. And that experience always comes in a context. It always comes in a wineskin because we're finite human beings. It must come that way. But then we take what is always meant to be fresh and alive and we calcify it. We read in the Bible that the disciples were in the upper room for ten days and then the Holy Spirit fell. We say, quick, everybody in church, lock the doors. We're going to pray for ten days. Now after about a half an hour of that, I mean, it is such a dismal experience that we never want to pray again. You know how I know, don't you? No, no, this comes much more freely. We, we mustn't take people and push and shove until they're wrenched and contorted and then say, look how they fit. Jean-Pierre de Cousade said, the soul, light as a feather, Fluid as water, innocent as a child, responds to every movement of grace like a floating balloon. That's it. So these planned disciplines of our lives to present and place our bodies before God, that is the goodness of it. That is part of the grace of God working in you and in me. And then we help each other. We do this together. Do you understand? Do you, are you there? You get the idea.
then do it. This next year, make a plan, an intention, not to sin. By taking up this way of life, oh, you'll make mistakes, what else is new? You just learn and grow from that, learn how to fail successfully, begin to grow in your life, and you'll see the, the, the work come. Okay? So now that's the first area of the golden triangle. The second is these ordinary events of our lives. Remember how James said, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. Now, why did he say that? I mean, is he some kind of masochist? No. It's because James, the little brother of Jesus, understood he understood very clearly how the formation of the life came about. And he mirrors the Sermon on the Mount more perfectly than just about any other New Testament writer. And he said, consider it nothing but joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Endurance. The old writers call that fortitude. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Let me try to describe it this way. God gives us wonderful, glorious promises. And in one sense, everything that God gives us, he gives us in promise form. And it is his intention that those promises are to be brought into completion, into fulfillment, into provision. But between the promise and the provision, God places a problem. Now we think, what a nasty thing to put between a promise and a provision. But you understand that God knows better than we do. And he brings this process of promise, problem, provision into our lives so that by the time we enter the provision, it does not destroy us. We are made into the kinds of people that can receive it. Do you remember Joseph in the Old Testament? Remember him? Do you remember the promise to Joseph? He had all these dreams. Sun, moon, and stars bowing down to him. Sheaves bowing down to him. And Joseph said, how can a guy be humble with dreams like that? God said, I'll show you. <laughs> and by the time his brothers bowed down to him, he was a different person, wasn't he? And you remember what he'd gone through. Betrayal, slavery, prison, promise, problem, provision. Remember Moses? Remember the promise to Moses? Deliverer of the people? He said, right. Tries it out. Kills the Egyptian. Doesn't work. God tucks him into the wilderness for 40 years to learn to do the work of God and the power of the Spirit. Promise. Problem. Provision. Even Jesus went through this very process. As a spirit, as he came out of the baptismal waters and the Spirit came upon him, then what happened? The word of Yahweh, this is my son, my beloved, 
in whom I'm well pleased. And then what? Desert! The devil didn't put him in the desert. The Spirit did. Promise. Problem. Provision. You remember Mary? Remember the promise to Mary, mother of Messiah? And in the promise you hear the problem. This shall touch thine own soul also. And you can see Mary at the foot of the cross watching her son, Messiah, die! Promise. Problem. Provision. Let's pray. Again, that was Richard Foster from back in 1999. You know, hearing Jim's introduction reminded me that this year is the 10th anniversary of the Apprentice Gathering in Wichita, Kansas. It's September 23rd through 25th. They have a great lineup scheduled, and you can find more information at ApprenticeInstitute.org. I'm Nathan Foster, and you've been listening to the Renovare Podcast. This work is made possible by the generosity of donors like you. Thank you. And you can support Renovare in this podcast with a tax-deductible gift at renovare.org slash donate. Renovare is a Christian ecumenical renewal effort offering resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. You can find articles and other resources on our website, renovare.org. This podcast is produced by Brian Morricon, who also wrote the opening song titled Be Kind. Until next time, be well, friends. Be well.